And now, as a forgiven and a beloved people, let us hear our text for this fourth week of Advent, our journey toward love. This week's gospel reading is from Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. I am reading from the Common English Bible translation, but as always, I encourage you to follow along or hear this in the biblical language that best connects you with God. So once again, let us hear our gospel reading for today from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Let us hear Matthew's version of the birth of Jesus. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child that she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. And look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, for Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as an angel from God commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she had her son, and Joseph named him Jesus. Thus ends our gospel reading today. These are the lessons of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is a messy, messy story. Amen? Amen. And our journey oftentimes toward love is a messy, messy journey. And I think that's one of the reasons why this time of Advent together is so important. Because in the mess, God still comes. And I think that, and I believe that is such an important message, both 2,000 years ago and today. And these journeys that we go on, these journeys that we've been on, are not easy. They require work. And that is what we learn, I think, in this story today. Now, this is our fourth and final week in Advent. I can't believe that Christmas is at the end of the week. It's almost here, but we are still in Advent. We are still making our way toward Bethlehem. 
And today we embark on that messy, complicated journey toward love. Now, for those of you who are new to Advent or new to this series, Advent is the start of our church year, and it is intended in part to be a season of expectation and introspection. The expectation is for the arrival of something or someone, someone in the world who will be a beacon of light for all people. We've been singing about them. We've been talking about them. It's the one known as Emmanuel, God in flesh, God with us. And this time of introspection is for us to take time to check in, to check in with our hearts and our minds and our spirits, and to use these weeks to ask ourselves just how ready are we for that arrival? How open are we to receiving this Christ child, not only in our churches, but in our internal worlds and spaces. And so we've been on a journey of discussion, of discovery and anticipation together. Thus far, we've taken journeys toward hope, hope for a season where we would discover things about ourselves on our way toward Christmas. We've journeyed toward peace, the kind of peace that we find when we open ourselves up to the ways that God can work, the ways that the Spirit can allow us the strength and the fortitude to face a future unafraid. We've embarked on a journey toward joy, which we sung about last week, a joy which invites us to sing loudly in the face of a world determined to steal that joy and dampen the songs of others. And this week, this week of eager anticipation for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we are all invited on a journey toward love. And this journey toward love isn't a simple love, but a deeply abiding, difficult at times to understand, all-encompassing love. It's a love for ourselves, Love for those around us whom we know and love for those whose names we are not yet familiar with. And as a result, it's a complicated love. And sometimes I believe the complicated part isn't always love for the stranger. Amen? Amen. But the hardest love is, in fact, love for each other and especially love for ourselves. And this text that we read of Joseph, this is a wonderful roadmap for what that journey toward love can look like. So let's take a look at the map and let's use it as an entry point into our journey together toward love. Now, this retelling of the birth of Jesus in Matthew is pretty straightforward and to the point. In the previous chapter, the writer of Matthew lays out the genealogy of Jesus. And their focus is on Joseph, the one who, after we get through the whole family tree of the bloodline of King David, Joseph is revealed to be the link to the prophecy from Isaiah that one will come from the line of David 
who will be revealed to be the savior of the people because it is revealed both in that genealogy and in the voice of the angelic visitor, Joseph, son of David. He makes that link. Now, Mary makes a brief appearance here. And her focus, of, or her participation, in air quotes, <laughs> is nominal in this gospel at best when it comes to the birth of Jesus because she's not the focus here for Matthew. Again, it's Joseph. And I believe that too often we gloss over this incredibly transformative moment of Joseph's in favor of an overly simplified view of him as it relates to the Jesus story. Now, how many of us have taken the time to look beyond the narrative that we've been given over the centuries that the most important part that Joseph plays in this unfolding story of the birth of Jesus is that isn't it nice that he is willing to accept the shame of marrying a woman who was pregnant before marriage? Isn't that nice? That's so sweet of him to take that on. And isn't it nice that by doing that, he was able to make it possible for Jesus to enter the world as part of a complete human family? Wasn't that lovely of him? How wonderful that he was so easily convinced by that angelic visitation to not call off his engagement, but instead to remain by Mary's side. That's so lovely. He's such an example of faith, isn't he? Y'all know we're not about that simple one-dimensional life here, correct? We know that. And what I believe is hidden in the context of this very short passage is Joseph's incredibly intricate journey of self-discovery, self-love, and loving acceptance of the very complicated people in his life. How many of us are on that journey right now? Amen. Love of self and love of the very complicated people that we are surrounded by. All of this journey and transformation of Joseph's was made possible by his welcoming of God's presence, both here in his heart and here in his head. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's be honest here, because I feel like we can be honest with each other. We've known each other long enough at this point. This is not a real good situation for Joseph right now, even less so for Mary. But again, Matthew's focus is on Joseph. So this is not a great situation to find yourself in. As we've mentioned previously, there are scholars who believe that he's older. He's a much older man. And as I mentioned last week, he's more than likely a widower. When they mention that he is righteous, it means that he meets the criteria for what a good Jewish man of that time would be. Someone who knows the Torah, who knows the law, who knows his faith and the stories of his people. He would have been married at a young age and had started a family. And so for him to be later in life, 
he's more than likely a widower, which means that he might even have children from his previous marriage. And here he is, he's betrothed or engaged to a younger woman. And I use the term woman very loosely here because Matthew's gospel was originally composed in Greek. And the word used to describe Mary actually translates to mean young girl or young woman, not virgin, but young girl, which would put her age at roughly 15 or so. But at any rate, he's engaged to someone much younger who already has a bit of a reputation for being a little bit of a firecracker. Now, we heard that in her song last week, and there are lost gospels that speak of Mary, and she was not the quiet, demure little girl that we like to think of. So we heard that in her song last week, she's a bit outspoken. I'm sure we also all have folks in our lives like that, regardless of their gender identity. And maybe even Mary may be someone that Joseph doesn't know real well outside of her reputation in town. And here he is. (laughs) He finds out she's pregnant. And please note that he didn't discover her pregnancy through the angelic visitation. He found out, which means he found out some other way. Either she was starting to show and couldn't hide it anymore, or the town was whispering about it, or maybe Mary just told him outright. We don't know, but what we know is Joseph found out. And he finds out, and it's probably not in a way that inspires much faith in his fiance, or in their future together. Because this is a small town that they are living in, and we all know how small towns can be. Amen? Amen. Even our urban areas have small towns within them. Those, Those neighborhoods and family units, you all know what I'm talking about. Small towns and groups like to do what? They like to gossip. They like to talk. And there are rules and social expectations within those groups, both back then and now, we know they can be annoying at best and suffocating at worst. So here's Joseph. He's a righteous man. And he knows that the baby Mary's carrying is not his. He knows that the town is talking, which means that the religious leaders have more than likely also heard the news. Or they're going to hear it at some point. And that Mary will be labeled as an adulterer, regardless of how this pregnancy came to be. Something like that label is certainly shameful in Joseph's world and could also be potentially dangerous for Mary, as the punishment can include death. For such things. By religious law, which Joseph as a righteous man would have known inside and out, Joseph was expected to end her, the engagement with her. He was expected to leave her behind and fend for herself. But at the same time, as a righteous man, he's also aware 
that his religious faith is one that also carries an expectation of mercy for the less fortunate. This is complicated. So he makes what I believe, given what we know, a solid decision to quietly end the betrothal to save face for himself and her. Not a good decision, but based on what we know and the societal expectations, it was a solid choice to not do it out in the open and publicly shame her, but to just quietly step away. Now, we don't know how long it took for him to come to that decision. We don't know. We don't know how long it took between making his mind up and the appearance of the angel in his dream. But we do know that at some point, Joseph is visited. He is visited in a dream by an angelic messenger who tells him something that is admittedly outrageous. But believable enough that upon waking, Joseph scrapped his plan to leave Mary behind, and eventually they were married. And she did give birth to a son born of the line of David, solidifying for Matthew's, Jesus's identity, that he is the Messiah, that he is also a Jew, and he is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. And so when we look at that, the story seems pretty simple and straightforward, right? Sure. Until you get to that line about his not, as they say, biblically knowing her, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, until after Jesus was born. He did not consummate the relationship, the marriage, until after Jesus was born. Was it because he was a nice guy? We don't know. I mean, we can assume that. We Christians have historically made our holy family sweet and uncomplicated and nice. We like that. But let's be real. I believe that it was more than likely Joseph wasn't really thrilled about any of this. And he needed to do some real internal work to get on board with this narrative. And so he didn't know Mary because he wasn't happy. And he was working through some stuff. Amen. And I believe that he did do that work. And I believe that because he is one of the few examples of good male parenting that we have in our texts. Abraham's not so good. Ask Isaac. David won great. It's a long line of not so great dads. And yet Joseph is one of the few. And I believe it's because he did the work. Because you don't get to be an example, good or bad, after 2,000 plus years if you haven't done something extraordinary to earn that reputation. See, I believe that Joseph is as much an example of what a journey toward love can be as Mary is, to be honest with you. Because Joseph's journey 
is still complicated and difficult. And I believe it mirrors for many of us what our own journeys toward love have looked like and may even currently look like. Joseph had to get right with himself first. In modern day language, he had to do the work, the work of getting right with himself and with God by evaluating what was important to him. That's the first step. Evaluating what is a priority. What was a value? When he had to make that assessment, what was the decision? Was it his standing in society, in his social and familial circles? Or was the priority was the value instead realized entirely within his relationship with God. With the very creator of all that existed before Joseph, all that will continue to exist even after him. The one true God who's so vast that they can hold the very universe in their hands Their divine fingerprints are evident on everything that was and is and yet to come. And a God so intimate with their relationship with humanity that they knew Joseph by name, knew his entire situation, and cared enough to come to Joseph in a dream to speak truth, and care, and mercy, and love to him. Joseph also had to do the work of getting right with his people, getting right with his decision to remain faithful to his promise to marry in the face of what was sure to be a shameful situation, one of discomfort and probably huge misunderstanding by the people around him, especially his own family. He more than likely needed to have some hard conversations with them. Certainly some hard conversations with religious leaders who would have tried to convince him that maybe what God means is that you can love the sinner but hate the sin. Amen? Or that even though their religion is one of mercy and grace and hospitality for the stranger, the orphan, the widow the vulnerable, that doesn't really mean Mary. She's not really included in that because she broke the law. In essence, conversations that were in direct opposition to what Joseph knew of God through his own personal encounter with God. Conversations trying to tell him that the God he knows is not really how God works. But Joseph did do the work. He did respond with faith and faithfulness to what we, what he knew to be true about God and God's nature, that God is a God of transformational, abundant, unquestioning love. Joseph did the work, and again, 
This comes back to his relationship with God and himself. Leading to Joseph's eventual acceptance, not only of God's love for him, but that God's love would be enough to shield him and his little unconventional family from the shame and the hate that would eventually be thrown at them. And then there was the hard work of getting right with Mary. Which is why I think that one line about Joseph's relationship with Mary at the start of their marriage is so important because it had to have taken a lot of work to get beyond this rocky start to their relationship. Amen? A lot of work around forgiveness and acceptance and grace and love. A lot of work focused on recognizing the divine reflection that Mary is and the literal divine presence within her. And yes, I also imagine that that involved Joseph's recognition that he himself is also a reflection of God's divine image. And so too is that baby marrying is carrying a reflection of God that for all that we know isn't even Joseph's by birth, but will certainly be his own son in love. But again, none of this work, this progress, this journey, this acceptance, this strength, this ability to live a life true to his calling as a righteous man, as a person of faith, none of this is possible without God. None of this getting right with himself, his people, his relationships, none of it is possible without that deepening of God's relationship with Joseph. Without that acknowledgement that God is is present and will be a guiding force in Joseph's life, in Mary's life, and in the life of this child who is about to be brought into the world. And these lives have been forever changed by that acceptance, by that realization that God is love. That is the journey that we are on. Lives forever changed and also will also become more challenging, especially for this little unconventional family as they lean into what it means to be fully, deeply, literally connected to God. But for all of that complexity, for all of that difficulty, for all of that challenge, it will also lead him along a lifelong journey of a deepening, all-encompassing, transformative love. That's the roadmap for us all. So my question to you, beloveds, is where are the places in our lives that need the kind of work that Joseph has done? How can we lean into Joseph's example, not of a passive acceptance or blind faith, but of an active, convoluted, complicated spiritual wrestling 
and work toward love. Love of self, love of other, and love of God. Because that, church, that is the work of Advent. That is the purpose of the journey that we have been on these last few weeks. And when we arrive at our destinations, after journeying alongside one another and alongside God, we are doing it with hope. We are doing it in peace and with joy. And when we arrive, we find love. Capital L, divine love. A love that is both as huge as the creator whose hands hold the universe and as small and fragile and intimate as a tiny baby. That is the journey, friends. That is what this Advent journey has been all about. May we all have learned something about ourselves along this journey to Christmas. May we see ourselves reflected in Mary and in Joseph and in all those who gathered to welcome this little child into the world. And may we all be willing to do the work, the work of welcome, the work of God's love as we embrace it and take it into our hearts and spirits with hope and peace and joy along the way. May it be so. Amen. Amen.